Zo, en dan zijn we alweer bij deel 2. Ik wil jullie allemaal hartelijk bedanken voor het luisteren van de eerste aflevering met Ruud. Vandaag hebben we Stems. En Stems is het alias van John Doerr. En John Doerr is een Engelsman. So I'm going to my best doen om zo so goed mogelijk Engels voor jullie te praten. Maar in ieder geval heel veel plezier gewenst. John Doerr is een muzikant die een groot deel van het jaar aan het tour is onder de naam Stems. En met Stems maakt hij cinematische, sferische muziek waarbij hij uh, rock en klassieke instrumenten elkaar laat ontmoeten. We gaan het vandaag niet zoveel hebben over teksten, gezien de muziek van Stems volledig instrumentaal is. Maar wel over een soort van mindset die hij heeft bij het schrijven van zijn liedjes. Ik vond het een leuk gesprek. Ik uh, hoop jullie ook. In ieder geval veel luisterplezier en graag tot een volgende keer. Okay, well, I guess I guess we'll start if everything is yeah. good. Uh, so, John Doerr, thank you very much for showing up. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's, uh, <laughs> it's my pleasure. Well, we're not done yet with the podcast, yes, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the moment, it's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, good. <laughs> it started uh, good. <laughs> how's your, uh, how was your 2018? Wow, 2018 could be described as uh, transitions, changes, uh, fast, very fast, um, because so I moved from the UK to Germany, but then spent a lot of time touring, and mostly uh, every tour was with different musicians. Mm. Uh, so uh, this was interesting, but also kind of difficult, because you have to rehearse the same music, over and over, but yeah. with different bands and different instruments. So similar instruments, so maybe a cello instead of a, of a violin, but this always requires some kind of rewriting the parts so that it fits the instrument, um, which is, is fun, <laughs> but also it's a tight schedule when yeah. you go somewhere, you have maybe a week, uh, and then play four, five, six shows, and then next place, the same. So, yeah, um, that was my 2018, really. Uh, and and you, write, you write out all the parts for everyone? Or you just write what you play and let them... I know, I'm a little bit more of a dictator. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> generally... Uh, yeah, either write out all the parts already being played on another instrument and you can send the recording through. Sometimes, depending on the instrument, there will be more freedom. So mm. in Germany, I have a tabla player. And tabla is an Indian drum, but it's capable of very complex rhythms. And I kind of want to use the instruments to their full potential. So. Yeah. I let the tablet player, uh, I gave him a little bit more freedom than the other players. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> but also, uh, because of the way the music's structured, there is always some room for maneuver, but generally it's quite strict. Yeah, uh, okay, yeah. And um, maybe maybe first, of well, secondly, 
start with the how you came to be stems and where where your music uh i think you have you've studied yep theory yep well, i studied uh, classical music uh, um and this actually was the beginning of stems so before i used to play solo with a loop pedal um and then when i started university studying classical music the real reason was to go to learn how to read and write notation mm. but somewhere along the way uh, this turned into learning more about the compositional techniques of everywhere and I, i'm a little bit like a magpie uh, yeah. a shiny thing so you know i'm not an expert on classical music but there are things that i took from it that uh for composition or for arrangements yeah that that i use now and so the the original idea with stems was to take kind of rock in inverted commas mm -hmm. rock music and classical music mixing them together but in a in a kind of a new way because you notice them There's not so many bands that combine violins and guitars. Yeah. And when they do, usually it's one of the instruments is the lead instrument. Um, and, <coughs> yeah, the idea wasn't to have a lead instrument, but, but to have a, a band. Yeah. Um, and because also violins and cellos can only play usually one note at a time, two sometimes, mm -hmm. but, uh, and so the way that I play guitar in alternative tunings and not really with chords, but with single notes kind of fits this. So when you have, for example, a cello and a violin and a guitar, then you kind of have a string quartet because the, you can play the two melody lines on yeah. the guitar and then you have the cello and the, and the, and the violin. Then when you add in kind of percussion to this, gives it more kind of an impact. So whether mm. it's drums or, or, or some kind of a hand percussion. Um, and yeah, so basically stems first started with me taking my compositions and then adding strings and flute and trying all different types of instrument. And then it became clear that actually it's the strings that worked the most yeah so concentrated more on this uh, and straight after university then was okay now it's time to tour <laughs> uh, and you know so diy touring which has been for the last kind of five years mm. the main thing that i do um with lots of different lineup changes lots of different instruments um and a lot of the time it doesn't feel like there is conscious thought going on it just feels like oh there's a new crisis what do i have to do to fix yeah. this <laughs> okay this will get me to next week um and but then some point you look back and you go oh okay this path actually was quite clear from uh, a long time ago mm. uh, it's just that you uh took it step by step rather than looking at the goal on the yeah. horizon. Yeah. And, uh, and I think in many ways, uh, this is also like, like the music. I mean, I know a lot of people have techniques about uh, how they write songs. And, um, and for me, it's a lot more of a mishmash. I mean, I, I also do film work. 
theatre work, mm. work with puppeteers, and um, and yeah, with this kind of work, uh, it's obviously it's quite similar because you're you're making music, you know, so you're still using your instruments, you're still making sounds, but you're the secondary focus. Yeah. So you accompany kind of what's going on on stage or on screen. And, and often, uh, you know, you have to kind of translate between what a dancer wants or what a filmmaker wants. So, yeah. And then they won't know the, you know, okay, so if you could, uh, you know, t modulate this into a major key now. and uh, they, they, they know the... The lingo? No, uh, <laughs> but they have their own. They say like, "Can you make it more happy?" Yeah, and then you'll be like, "Okay." Oh, more energy. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and and I mean, for me, I'm, I'm happy to work like this because before I studied music, this is exactly how I used to work. So mm. words that about mood or yeah. a feeling or a kind of an energy and ambience, instead of yeah, we'd like a you know then insert specific music yeah. term. <laughs> yeah. Um, seven. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, really, uh, what I do, uh, it's not really writing songs as such. It's writing music. And a lot of the time, each piece has a completely different compositional device. Mm. So, and this is really what makes the piece in a way. I mean, um, what do you mean by compositional device? So this would be either um, a time signature change or oh. um, um, you, using things that have been used in composition. So in songwriting, it would be a verse to a chorus. Yeah, and, exactly. And how you yeah. get there if you... Yeah key change if you speed it up or mm. slow it down and um so yeah it's like every piece has a central point the whole point of the piece is because this this happened and then yeah. you kind of develop in different ways um and and how much does like your uh, knowledge of um of music correlates to being able to sort of uh, emote what you want um is it easier for you to find uh, uh what you have in your head now than it was like five years ago yeah yeah without a doubt yeah um and i think uh and, it, and, it, and it's not the case that i just got this idea five years ago and then stayed kind of in one mm. place but just with this hectic schedule of playing with so many different musicians and, and, and um, yeah, you find that this, this kind of changes your way of working because you have to work really fast and you have to communicate really fast yeah. um, and, and explain things often with people who English is a second language. So, and uh, you know, I'm lucky in the Netherlands that everybody speaks such great English yeah. here, but this is not the same in in, in Italy, um, although generally people do speak quite good English, yeah. but still, um, 
Actually, Italy is a bad case because all of the musical terms are Italian. So, oh, yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> accelerando, yeah, yeah, allegro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I was surprised that these are actually still words that are used in Italy. So, uh, yeah. Was, uh, um, yeah, this kind of made it easier. But, I mean, other things that I didn't realize, like in France, the sharp and flat is called something completely different oh yeah so there was a uh but this idea to make a kind of a super group and combine a french group and stems and play some show which was great and we did it uh but yeah there were certain moments in when you're rehearsing things where you're trying to say to someone no no no, no not g but g sharp and they look at you like huh <laughs> and they, this is when i realized that okay so all music theory is language dependent yeah. also. Yeah. So then oh, it just becomes easier to write things down in a way because the written notation looks the same. Mm. But it's only when you try and explain to someone that, I mean, minor is mol. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. And, and so then you yeah. have to learn all of this. I mean, even the the rhythmic value of notation has different names. So in, in Germany, what we call semi-brief, they call the Gantz, and halb is minim. And so yeah, it's a lot of information yeah. to kind of hold in your, yeah. in your head. Um, and I realized that I've completely spiraled away from the question. <laughs> it's no matter. It's a conversation. It's not an interview. Yeah. At least that's what I hope to, it's what I strive to uh, achieve. Can you can you list like your biggest uh, influences, uh, like in other music, other composers, or other bands? Or this could take some time. <laughs> top, top ten. Top ten. Or just the the first ten that come. Uh, this is a better question. Yeah. <laughs> the first ten. Okay, so. Uh, uh, I'll try and go through the different genres. Uh, I mean, for the Godspeed You Black Emperor, who are a Canadian collective who also mix violins and guitars, are generally, you know, I would say one of my favorite bands, and Sigur Ross also. But Sigur Ross's last three albums have not been <laughs> so great. Uh, so, yeah, going to be one of the cool kids who says, yeah, the first, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> When they were good, oh, early, early uh, yeah, stuff. the early stuff, yeah. you know, before they became mega famous, yeah, um, yeah and but then also uh, Jeff Buckley, big influence, earlier days like Smashing Pumpkins, mm. uh, and, but, and and uh, why Smashing Pumpkins? Because mm. they don't really reflect in your own music right away. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, these are an early love. So when I was kind of 14 and got yeah. this album, uh, uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness was the first time that I ever heard such a big, expansive mm. music by one band. And so this, the, the idea was influential, maybe more than that. But if you listen to the guitar playing, then there's, you, you, there's uh, some, definitely uh, some in there. But yeah, and then also classical composers like Stravinsky, um, Debussy, yeah, these are so the, the later classical composers. Also, there is Indian music in there. So, uh, 
I can't really say the, the names. I mean, yeah. you could have like Ravi Shankar, but it's it's not just from listening to recordings. It's the study of Indian music and how this translates into the playing. And this is another thing that the that the influence is often the uh, an idea rather than a, just a, yeah. yeah yeah. It could be a sound, or it could be. You listen to an interview with a guy, and even though you don't like the music, yeah. they say something, and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 that, yeah, that really, uh, that really helps. Yeah, and then uh, other favorites like Massive Attack. Um, <sighs> and then actually a lot of a lot of <laughs> kind of film music. So Jan Tiersen, um and with this, it's not just the music itself, but it how it matches with the the film. Yeah. Um, and and so this is another one of those eureka moments. And often uh, we'll use live visuals with a film, uh, with a concert. And more recently, uh, started composing music to old silent movies, and uh, I mean. This was something that I did for a long time by myself, yeah. thinking, yeah, I mean, it's a cool idea, but no one's going to be interested in this. I saw the, I saw the uh, moon uh, Ah, video. yeah, Trip to the Moon. Yeah. Yeah, this was the first. Yeah, um, okay, yeah. And, and, and the biggest thing, actually, I ever did, I mean, was commission uh, from the British Film Institute and... Uh, we played a three-show tour with DJ Yoda, and including one show in my hometown in front of eight thousand people, which was Ooh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I hope your mom went to see that one instead of the one where you were playing in a bar in front of two people. <laughs> no, yeah, um, yeah. My mom didn't go and see oh. that. One. <laughs> but yeah. it was a, it was a real uh, kind of a, a funny gig because. Then weeks afterwards, you get messages from friends you haven't spoken to in years. And yeah. they're like, yeah, dude, it was really great. Oh, nice. I, I didn't even know you were playing. And they looked on yeah. stage like, that's, is that? That's, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Why Debussy and Stravinsky instead of like Bach or? Uh... Oh, I mean, I love Bach also, but it's just the way that music speaks to you, I guess. Yeah. Um, and. I mean, with Stravinsky, it's only certain pieces, so not so much the neoclassical period at the end, but the Rite of Spring and the Firebird. Uh, and I love it because it, it's, it's not happy or sad. It, in a way, it kind of represents, uh, it's more like a storm, mm. you know, a, a massive burst of energy, but... It's not about necessarily the, the the human side of things. Yeah, I mean, okay, the story is is that you have a young girl who they dance to death. So there is a human element in there, but equally, I mean, you, you know, can leave that out, sort of. Yeah, 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 and and this is the thing that that kind of struck me is that a lot of classical music up to this point was all about the key change. This is the. Beethoven and Mozart, Brahms, you know, the the the, the list of classical composers. Mm -hmm. And and the reason why they're so highly uh, 
regarded is because they created ever more complicated key changes. So instead of being uh, just one key change, I mean, you know, like the way that a, the sonata form or symphony, you know, basically you have melody A, then you have melody B, then it shifts, usually up a fifth, then you have melody A again, melody B, then it goes back down again. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> then you have Beethoven who kind of goes, okay, well, I'm going to take it through melody A, is going to go through this, then I'm going to go through another uh, key change, and then another key change. And so really, Beethoven took, stretched the form to as far as it can go. Yeah. So then after this, everyone's searching for something new. And, to, you know, there, there, there were many new things that happened all at the same time. But for me, the, the, the most striking thing about Debussy and Stravinsky is how in the modern world they're so influential. I mean, when you listen to film music, anything in an action film that's kind of orchestral, you sit there going, Hmm. hmm, Stravinsky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so much like piano music, piano jazz. When you listen, you kind of like, yeah, this is quite producing. Mm. I'm, I'm afraid my, uh, my knowledge isn't really up to par to, to, to know that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and, I'll, I'll try and listen for the, the next time. So you, you compose for film as well. Mm-hmm. Do you get your um, do you get your inspiration from media like books or movies or whatever? Yeah, movies definitely. Um, I don't read books so much. Mm. I mean, I read, but usually it's more articles and, and short stuff. Because when you're traveling around, the last thing you need is a Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, a library. My, yeah, my, my portable library. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There. Well, they have the e-books nowadays. Yeah, yeah, but that sucks. So. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. So generally, it's laptop or phone and reading articles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, if I feel brave, then I can try and read a book in German, and mm. <laughs> <laughs> which then I usually end up on my phone on Google Translate. Yeah, like, yeah. What does this mean? <laughs> um, but uh, movies. Uh, but uh, also theater, and sometimes it can be uh, by an accident. So, you know, uh, you're watching something on TV at someone's place, you have some other music on, and then this this kind of a, a happy accident yeah. by watching the two things. You go, oh, yeah. Yeah. That works. Or, or, oh, yeah. Or sometimes it's um, watching, uh, because, I, yeah, okay, I like to watch art house films, you know, guilty uh, mm -hmm. as charged, but I also like to watch um, uh, kind of this Game of Thrones style uh, epic yeah, incredibly violent, incredibly, uh, and and sometimes when you when you watch this, uh, you, you uh, see the way that that the music's being used, and uh, and sometimes sometimes it's very clever. It's uh, the kind of 
opposite of of what you expect. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess the first time I ever noticed how much music and film affects me is is probably Quentin Tarantino. And I mean, it's kind of an obvious choice. Yeah. But when you watch Reservoir Dogs and you see this. Mr. Blonde slicing off someone's ear to such a happy song <laughs> <laughs> and dancing around. And, yeah. And, and yeah, and this is really affecting because before this, you would probably see some dramatic yeah. music or, or maybe just no music at all, mm. you know? But the fact that he makes a key feature out of it and it keeps the music diegetic because the music's on so that people can't hear the screams. Yeah. So it's, you know, you see him turn up yeah, the yeah. radio a very, in a very pointed way. So it's not like he even planned this song to be on, but, you know, he knows this song and he's happily mm-hmm. getting along with his business, <laughs> you know. Um, Cut and, some ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and I think I was... Uh, 15 when I watched this. Mm. No, I was, eight, I was 18 <laughs> when I watched it. Oh, I, I'm sure they won't prosecute. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how many lawmen are listening to this podcast. <laughs> but uh, any that are, I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and this, 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 this had a huge impact. Uh, and then also next then came Trainspotting, mm. which was... Um, slightly different because some of the music was written specially for the film. Some of the music was it's selected underworld. from, yeah, yeah, um, and also like the pulp track. Uh, there was some Damon Albarn stuff on mm. there that was written specially for the film. But it was the the other point was when I was a teenager, most of my friends didn't like the same music as me. You know, you're the, the weirdo, yeah. arty kid who's like, hey, you, you heard of Sonic Youth or Velvet <laughs> Underground? And, you know, and everybody else is kind of like, yeah, Oasis are really cool. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah, but I mean, Oasis are okay, but I mean, check this out. Yeah. Um, but then I noticed with films, everybody was, yeah, Pulp Fiction's cool, mm. Trainspotting's cool. And the, the impact that these films had culturally, I mean, you know, there's not so many album covers where you could put it on a wall or just a quote from yeah. something, but uh, from Pulp Fiction or Trainspotting, you know, if you just say choose life and everyone's like, oh yeah, Trainspotting <laughs> or Ezekiel 22, 25, The yeah. Path of the Righteous Man, yeah. everybody, you know, knows yeah. this. Um, and in a way, it, it's kind of like reinventing music hmm. um, and obviously yeah the record labels in the 90s knew this and so they would push for their tracks to be used Ish. in the films yeah. so it, it builds up you know so i heard because uh, you were you mentioned it a few, a few minutes ago um <laughs> that um sometimes you listen to two uh sources of sounds and they coalesce into something nice mm-hmm. i heard but it could be mythical because the man's quite enigmatic. Uh, Tom Waits sometimes puts on, turns on like five or seven radios, each on a different uh, station, uh-huh. and then just sort of zones out and listens for when it meets in between. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this, this I can believe. I mean, yeah, these are things. Especially I, with Tom Waits. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
But especially just, you know, in me and maybe the strange friends that I have, I mean, this is the mm. kind of thing that we uh, end up doing when there's nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah, you, but you, yeah. you, you compose, like, in such weird... Sometimes, yeah. Well, unconventional. Unconventional, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I don't view this as so unconventional. Mm. Um, but often these things start as a joke. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if... Yeah. And then at the end of it, yeah, actually, it's not so crazy. Mm. I mean, um, all the idea of, you know, playing a few records at the same time um, or even playing two films at the same time and just try to see if you can make a conversation between one actor yeah. and one film oh, and another yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, and it's this playfulness that uh, allows you to be creative, I think, uh, rather than going, okay, now I'm going to write a classic masterpiece mm. that is going to speak to every human being out there. And yeah. Yeah, it's more a case of, okay, well, I just do this. Yeah. I think See, this is pretty cool. Um, this is interesting. Yeah. And, and they also, you guard yourself from the, from the main musician disease of giving up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, you're someone else who didn't give up. And, and it's not because you didn't have failures and, you didn't have people saying, hey, man, you suck, you know? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't actually. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, okay, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's just me. But, um, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people give up. Mm. And it's the, really the only way you can be defeated is if you give up. Yeah. Um, and by, by sort of like experimenting, you can't really fail because it's an experiment. Yeah. So, yeah. And... Uh, and uh, I guess, I mean, the outcome is always to try and communicate with people. But when you play a concert, you can tell almost immediately if it's communicating with people mm. or not. And yeah, you can be, okay, maybe this isn't my audience or whatever. But the, the real reason for doing anything is to try and communicate something, especially something if you write instrumental music, it has to be something that it, uh, is difficult to express in words. And this is the, the thing that I've found is that when you use words, everybody can understand them. I mean, okay, different languages, stuff, but you, know, you can get a translation of the lyrics yeah. and, and you can kind of get an idea about what the song's about. So it kind of fills in those blanks for you. But when you hear a... Uh, an instrumental piece of music, you kind of have to fill in a lot of the blanks yourself. I mean, some people just can't do it. They mm. just need a voice. And that is the, you know, they say this, but then you go and watch a film with them and they are humming the theme yeah. of the film. And, and, it's, and, and so it's, it's context, context as well. Um, and, and, and and kind of when you experiment, then you kind of end up with things that you're most interested in about what it is that you're experimenting with. Mm. So at the moment, the thing that I'm most interested in experimenting with is having a song that isn't 
that has many moods at the same time. So a song that it, it somehow is, is kind of happy and sad, for example, yeah. all at the same time. And you can achieve, you know, there are different ways of achieving this. I mean, taking, uh, for example, Joy Division, another big influence for early, early on. And the song Love Will Tear Us Apart. And you have this melody and this, this tempo that's mm-hmm. quite happy. Yeah. And then you read the lyrics and you're yeah. like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so this kind of achieves that, you know, um, but by a different method. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the method that I'm now uh, working with actually is based more upon Bach. <laughs> Because Bach, uh, in his vocal work, um, had this idea of counterpoint harmony. So you have harmony that's chords, um, and you can hear them as chords. So you play a C major, and it's mm-hmm. just three notes, but you can you hear it as a chord. Yeah. Whereas Bach had this idea that you have four vocal melodies that all move independently of each other. So they harmonize together, but you don't hear them as chords, you hear them as different melodies. Um, and, and so this, this really is the thing that I'm experimenting with right now, is the multiple melodies that all harmonize with each other, but actually are independent from each other at the same time. And this leads you down a path of... Uh, compositional devices, like I said before. So um, instead of a key change, maybe you use a cannon. So, uh, or maybe you, you start the riff from halfway through and it will be twice the speed. Yeah. So, and this kind of uh, overlaying uh, on top, which also takes you away from the uh, chord structure of a song. Because often, you know, if you start with C major, then probably you're going to have to use one or two chords. Yeah. And then when you want to change, then, uh, yeah, then there's already a kind of a, a road planned the minute that you play the first chord, I feel. Mm. Uh, not always the case. And, and there's always ways, interesting ways around this. Um, but, yeah, I just find that with a melody or with a rhythm, um, and then the way you can take this, you're a lot more free. I mean, another uh, another thing that I really like, and this is something that I've kind of taken from Indian music, is this idea of having a drone note and then melodies over the top. Yeah. And this, uh, I mean, uh, to use this, always, for some reason, it always sounds very film music type thing but it's also the case that if you have a drone note it's just a d it means that you can still use harmony and chords but in a way you're more free because then you can use any chord that has d in it Uh, so you're kind of free to go in almost any direction uh, if if you really want to or you can uh, add to the drone, so you can add from a D, you can add an F or an F sharp, and then it starts sounding like a D major chord. Um, and and if you're six minutes with just a drone and melodies on top, 
and then you add you color in the, the harmony after this point then this becomes like a big shift mm, um, yeah and it's uh funny because it's kind of like putting a microscope on music in a way it's so much more simple because you don't have this moving harmony you know you just have this melody over the top of one note um but uh but the effect is uh, is magnified mm. uh, it's, yeah i mean I have this idea of slow motion music where everything kind of happens slowly and you can feel a kind of a build um and this is also uh, comes from playing lots of concerts where you know the audience doesn't know who you are yeah. and they don't know any of your music. So how do you, um, and you're not going to play anybody else's songs, so how do you translate to this audience, okay, yeah. this, this is kind of what we do. Um, and having slow build-ups generally kind of helps because then, okay, okay, I see this is happening and yeah. then this goes over the top. And, mm. and so even if you're, uh, you know, don't play a musical instrument, you can still kind of understand what's happening. You sort of and, ease them into the, yeah. the true stems. Which is <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and, <coughs> you know, it, also the other things with performance, like, work in the crowd i mean mm. i don't tend to do this so much uh sometimes yeah if i'm in the mood then, yeah but there won't be a lot of people waving their hands in the air no like no they just don't care during stems no gigs more <laughs> like in eyes closed mm. contemplation yeah uh, sometimes people dance which is cool but it's a great response, actually, yeah, when, yeah. when people dance. Yeah, you're like, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. If they feel the need to actually, like, move to your... Yeah, yeah. And um, and I guess it can be fun to watch as well, to see how they interpret your... your so yeah. Like a, like a dynamic between you two, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, when you when you play a show, there's always kind of an energy exchange or, or in a good show, there's an mm. energy exchange and you kind of feel energized by the, uh, when people are watching and, and really concentrating. And it's strange, you can feel this in a room, yeah. you know, uh, you can feel the difference between a room that's just people are quiet mm -hmm. to a room where everybody's concentrating on something. Yeah, on something. really listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and so when people are really listening, then you can uh, go much deeper into what it is that you're playing. I mean, I guess an example would be, um, you, know, you watch Glastonbury Festival and you know, a famous band comes out and they play their most famous song, but they extend it. So instead of being three minutes long, yeah. it's 10 minutes long. And what is always everybody's favorite moment of the concert oh, yeah, you know, the thing where they did that big build-up, yeah. you know, because I th really think that human beings respond well to musical build-ups mm. because it's all about creating a, a kind of a tension, a kind of an energy. And, and I mean, really, this is dance music to a, um, 
this is the whole point of dance music is the build up yeah. and the drop down and yeah. and uh, you know and, and I guess one of the reasons why it was and still is so successful is because you don't need to know the music to kind of get what is like, happening you know going on yeah what's going to happen yeah and then and and also uh, I mean okay you have some pop stuff but you know the original kind of techno or house music wasn't built on songs it was built on these 10 15 mm. minute long kind of things and and obviously this is generally music to dance to that's the the whole point and then you go well yeah what do i prefer to dance to do i prefer to dance to a three minute pop song or do i prefer to dance to something that's a bit longer and yeah. more progressive and uh um or something that you know you start out and you're not dancing and then at some point your foot's tapping and then at some point you you kind of dance and wait a minute wait, wait, <laughs> I'm dancing yeah the, the samba effect <laughs> again <laughs> and and you know and this can happen in with all kinds of music mm. from watching a swing band to watching a 80s electro pop yeah. you know there's just something that kind of connects in that even then, still, it's usually a kind of a build-up. I mean, I guess when you play a set, there will be certain points where you're like, okay, I'm going to bring the energy down now with this song and yeah. this one, okay, yeah, I'm going to walk and play something that's going to kind of grab everybody's attention right from the start. Mm -hmm. um, but then also there are those other shows where you're booked as a support act the main guy, uh, everyone is there to see. Yeah. So, you know, you have like 25 minutes to surprise the audience. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they're still walking in while you're playing. I mean, you know. Yeah. Walking and talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking, talking, drinking. Yeah. And so then, you, you know, you can react to this in, in a few different ways. You can get frustrated, you know, but then you put yourself in the same situation where you go and see one of your favorite bands and yeah, there's some other band playing, but mm. we just want the main band we came to see. Um, or you can, you know, go really over the top trying to get the audience going and, you know, which is difficult. And, yeah. if, and if you fail trying this, yeah. then you look really <laughs> stupid. Like cool, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you can just go and play with all of your heart Mm. all of your passion and and realize that actually you know some people will be listening even yeah. if you don't f feel like they are um and yeah and i think if you play with passion and you play with heart then people do understand more also mm. even if it's not their kind of music or so I get this a lot you know it's not really the kind of music that i listen to but yeah. i really enjoyed that yeah. and, and it's kind of like well I mean, that's a huge compliment. Mm. I mean, that's the, rather than someone going, oh, yeah, you know, I've studied this kind of music and I know it very well. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, this is also cool, but it's also really nice when you have, you know, like a 12-year-old kid or a 75-year-old woman who's mm. like, uh, yeah, yeah, this, uh, um, I mean, I can remember one show and there was a woman would have been around about this age and she after the concert came over, she had tears in her eyes. Very nice. And she was explaining about how, you know, it was making her think about um, 
like a kids when they were young and oh, yeah. family. Cool. And it, I mean, this was really, pff, yeah. Um, That's sort of what you hope. Yeah. That happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it's, and the fact that it happened is yeah. like, <laughs> <Yeah>. whoa. <laughs> yeah. So do you like the struggle as well during a, a bit of struggle, I guess? Uh, uh, there's always a bit of struggle mm. there. Um, I think, uh, um, I mean, str struggling with playing something because it's it's a bit too difficult, or struggling because you were more ambitious than uh, you know. Because yeah, I mean, there's definitely been times where I've overreached. Um, you know, maybe booked a tour in a place and mm. lost a lot of money, uh, or booked a tour in a place and um mm, things didn't quite work out but at the same time it's kind of this thing about uh, kind of accepting your failures and and um and yeah and really it's like well um if it was easy then everyone would do it right yeah i mean this is yeah. the sounds like a cliche but uh this is often the thought in my mind is that um, the struggle, I mean, yeah, the, as you know, there are many struggles. The big struggle is always money. Yeah. This yeah. is <laughs> always, the, always the big struggle. Yeah. Um, and then another struggle is also like how to kind of motivate the people who like your music mm. uh, into coming to a show or to uh, telling their friends about, about the music and and um and then you you know you you have kind of the other struggles where you're on stage and you're with an audience and what you're playing isn't communicated mm. um and this is out of all of them this is the worst struggle yeah. <laughs> because you know the one minute on stage with yeah, all the eyes know, on like, you oh damn i have to go yeah an hour with this <laughs> yeah and, and and audiences and everywhere are completely different mm. so some places everyone just stays silent and you're like do you guys like this yeah <laughs> and yeah yeah i mean germany can be a bit like this you know you play to an audience and everyone sits in absolute so silence and you're not sure whether people like it or not and yeah. then it's only later on when nearly everyone in the room goes to buy an album that you're like, ah, ah okay, you really it. liked it. And then other places where it seems like people are really liking it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was okay, but uh, yeah, I didn't really like mm. this. Or, um, but yeah, and and this struggle with the audience is, is, is something that like, some performers seem to have this kind of uh, innate ability. Nina Simone seemed to really know which buttons to press in an audience to get a response. Yeah. Um, other people uh, manage this, but she managed to do this kind of musically uh, instead of being a crowd-pleasing mm. front person. Because I know that I'm not the kind of guy who goes out on stage and yeah. is like, yeah, everybody clap, <laughs> you know? Because also when I sit in the audience and someone does this, You're like, oh man, it's time to go to the bar now, you know. <laughs> Don't come to my live shows now. <laughs> <laughs> But um, it's 
Yeah, and then then finding these ways to stay cool under pressure and also try and uh, do something different that you never did before to try and connect with with this audience Mm. or to try and connect with... to try and to try and make a, a connection, and and I mean, I guess the worst thing is when people just don't listen, and there are many <laughs> gigs like this where, right from the moment you walk on stage, people are talking, and you're not gonna change their mind mm. no matter what you do. Um, and so you know, what do you do in this situation? You can stop playing, you can complain. Sometimes I do complain. It depends on what mood I'm in, and yeah. you know. Or in a kind of a, I'd like to dedicate this song to the people who come to concerts and talk all the time. <laughs> I mean, please feel free to leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the, the, the sort of stabs, small stabs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, sometimes when you, uh, playing a concert is like playing, is like a ritual. And, and, and for me, it's kind of okay. I start the ritual. Sometimes things happen that make me really angry in the moment. And, and it's because, I guess it's because I'm at this moment, I'm, I'm open. So I'm pushing all of this mm. energy, positive and negative from myself. And I'm in my own kind of world. And then you have somebody who's there talking louder than the music. And yeah. you're kind of like, okay, I have to warn you right now that something bad could happen to you very soon. <laughs> you know, because... It didn't happen yet. No. But at the same time, I can imagine this. I mean, there have definitely been times when I've walked off stage, you know, literally put my guitar down, walked off stage, walked straight out out of the bar. Yeah, just, just uh, you know, and it's kind of a... Kick some rocks and... Yeah, not even just, not even kick some rocks, but just quietly contemplate. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you You're know... You're more zen than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... Uh, at some point, but it could also happen that you know that you put yeah. down the guitar and and go over to the person who's talking and you know, grab them by the throat and just like <laughs> uh, you know, I did once again. I didn't do this yet, yet, yet. But yet. This is the this is the key point. So if yeah. you come to a stems concert yeah. and yeah. want to talk, the outside is better. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But also, I don't have to deal with this so often. Usually audiences are really great. Yeah. So, so the less this happens, the more annoying it is. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. So um so when you sit down to write, you sit down to write? Mm, sometimes. Uh sometimes stand up to write. Mm. Uh, but uh there are many processes that, that things go through. I mean, uh First of all, it depends on the deadline. So if it's for a film and they go, yeah, we'd like to have this done in two weeks. And you go, okay, let's clear some space. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and then this can be really fun. Uh, but usually it would be I'm playing something, you get a melody, and then I make these kind of strange graphs and things and, and kind of go, okay, I have this melody. What do I want to do with this melody? Mm. Then you go, okay, well, I could do this, 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 this. So then you write down all of the different things that you could do, and then you try them, and you go, okay, this one doesn't work. This one works, but it's too much. 
this one works, I'll use this one first and then maybe use the next one. And so then you have another filtering process where you kind of add maybe some harmonies, see how this works. You, then. And how do you add the harmony? So you record it and then, or you, you have it in your head? Yeah, both or uh, any, I mean, depends. I mean, right now I can't really record things in decent quality. So mm. uh, um, usually it's uh, on a loop pedal at the moment. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But sometimes it is a melody in my head um, and you kind of write down the, um, because when, you know, when you have a melody in your head, then you kind of, okay, so what, instrument plays this melody how does the instrument play this melody if it's a guitar what effects are used mm. what strings are used uh, um how can i develop it and and how long can i make it go on for until it gets boring you know and sometimes it's like okay i have this melody and this is where it all starts but this doesn't fit anymore so the original melody then gets kicked out uh yeah um, and and then you you know you also have this kind of a bank of all of these ideas that you kind of collected over the years. This weird guitar sound, this these two chords that go really nice together, but they never really fit anywhere mm. else. Um, and and so often there is a kind of a pulling these ideas. Yeah, like an archive uh, of. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, and just. And, and then also sometimes improvising sessions as well. So just play and then record everything, listen back to it. Okay, mm. This works, this didn't work, this could work, or this sounds kind of bad like this, but I, I think if I did this instead, then it would sound good. Um, and then kind of taking things away often rather than adding things. The first process is kind of like, throw in things to the wall, see what sticks, and then kind of what you're left with, then you start playing around with. And, um, um, and, and often uh, when I'm working with other musicians to compose the music, then there will be some point where I'll invite around, say, a violin player uh, and ask them, okay, so can you play this melody and take a recording? Now can you play it backwards? take a recording mm. now can you play it like one octave higher or one octave lower um and then you have all these recordings and then you can also piece it together in a computer uh which is cool when you spend a lot of time traveling because yeah. you can be on a train just headphones in yeah. and messing around with music I mean, yeah i mean i call it messing around but but it's composing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but um what uh, what uh, program Oh, Reaper. Reaper? Mm -hmm. And uh, this is simply because it has one editing feature that I really like. <laughs> and that it's the fact that it's for free. Yes. <laughs> this is the, actually, that's the main thing. <laughs> <It's> the main <laughs> thing. <coughs> one thing that it has that I really like is when you are um, writing in the, when you, automation. Yeah. Um, it shows you uh, the piano the, roll stuff. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and also like uh, volume in and out and different effects, mm. reverb in and out. The, the the Reaper thing 
actually shows you where the cut will be before you make the cut. And when I used Logic, which was a few years ago, mm-hmm. this didn't this didn't exist. So I mean, okay. it's a very small thing. Yeah. I know it's a very small thing, <laughs> but for me, this this helps. Yeah, um, and now. I just got so used to using Reaper and the quick keys that a change in would be uh, kind of like fitting wheels on a balloon, mm. time consuming and, and pointless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, so you use Reaper sort of as a tool, like uh, not just a vehicle, but as, actually as a yeah as a tool to write. Yeah, absolutely. Songs? Do you call them songs? Yeah, compositions. I, yeah, songs Works. or. Just music, I guess. Music, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use it to re- to write music. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and and, and I mean, um, it's also part of the end product. So mm. uh, to record uh, an album, um, and I mean, the, the last album that I did was recorded in this way, where. I took recordings, all multi-tracked, all led, and ended up with a ridiculous amount of like eight violin parts and four cello parts for yeah. each piece of music. And <laughs> this is along with tabla, electronic drums, live drums, synthesizer, and then then the guitars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so it was composed and recorded at the same time. Whereas the last few albums have been composed, then played live, then recorded live in everybody in the same room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, this is quicker. This is, uh, in a way, it's, I like this because it's a bit like taking a picture of a moment in time Yeah. Um, where you kind of, when you hear the recording, you remember exactly, oh yeah, this morning we got stuck in traffic on the yeah. way to Amsterdam Nord and like uh, we were late two hours to the studio and, you know, I mean, notice that I always think of negative things <laughs> first. <laughs> Being late sounds like a musician's. Thing. Yeah, always late. Um, yeah. Um, but at the same time, then you listen to these recordings and, uh, yeah, but it would be really nice if we could push up the kick drum a little here, but it's mm. not possible because everything's on recorded on, yeah. you know, at the same time. Um. And, and also, I mean, if you've recorded two albums and an EP like this, then I think it's healthy to change, um, healthy to change the way you work, yeah. um, so that it doesn't end up being just the same thing over and over. Renew yourself, uh, yeah, experiment again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also uh, because the last album was partly recorded in England, partly recorded in Germany took maybe a year to finish this thing mm. um, and, in, in, and even in the end it's kind of abandoned rather than finished i mean you know um i mean okay obviously i'm happy with it otherwise i wouldn't have released it but yeah i'm still like yeah but you know if we could just get the these extra two violin parts in there would really uh... yeah <laughs> and and yeah at some point you just okay i have to let go and, and then in the meantime uh, finishing this recording then i wrote almost an entire live soundtrack for a silent film so hmm. 40 minutes worth of music boom, there just it is. in kind of a 
like a splat, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so now I'm kind of refining this, but this is also a different direction because this goes more in the kind of uh, electronic uh, with a little bit of disco, but uh, dark disco. Okay, with, dark uh, disco. Yeah, with uh, disco in a minor key and mm. music to dance and cry to at the same time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this multi-mood thing yeah um, like a ultravox uh dancing, yeah dancing with, with tears, tears in, in my eyes, eyes. Yeah. yeah yeah um and and also the yeah then this this is uh kind of a refreshed love for 80s music mm. um, fueled by the by the realization oh yeah youtube has all of everything that yes. i ever listened to <laughs> yeah. ever and going back and listening to some things and Oh yeah, actually this was quite good. Why did I stop listening? Yeah. <laughs> Why did Tears for Fears, for example? I yeah. mean, uh, it's really great. I have uh, a theory about the '80s music, and that that is that. Well, it doesn't it's not an absolute theory, but everyone who made music before the '80s sounded like shit during the '80s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone who made music started getting famous in the '80s are actually quite good. Yeah. I I would completely agree with this. I mean, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Rumors, amazing. Yeah. But Tango in the Night. <laughs> yeah. But then, I mean, uh, Prince, amazing. I yeah. Mean, he, yeah. There are, of course, exceptions. But yeah, but he was 80s, I guess. I yeah. Mean, uh, um, and then also thinking about Pink Floyd, another band that I love, but the 80s. The two albums that they did in the eighties are not the, the final cut, and uh, obscured by cloud, mm. or maybe that's a song name. But yeah, I, I mean, it's not. They're okay. Yeah, they're not terrible, but it's not not groundbreaking no. No. stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. The the stuff uh, when when the eighties really uh, uh, opened up so many different possibilities with synthesizers, sequencing. And I think uh, this didn't match with people who were already famous yeah. because they wrote in a particular way. Yeah. And then the people who used sequencing, so a lot of the synth pop bands uh, like Depeche Mode, uh, uh, Pet Shop Boys, I mean, this was the first sound mm. you know um yeah and so it was kind of an it seems like more of an intuitive type of thing for them but also the world changed uh, recording uh recording studios changed and i think with the, the bands being so famous they can get anything they want and it's like so oh, they yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take this synthesizer, this yeah. 40,000 euro. Yeah. Look what I did with it. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Sounds just like a trumpet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll take the guitar. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so they, they um, whereas I guess a struggling band like Depeche Mode in the early years probably could only afford one synthesizer. Mm. So they spent all of their time just on this one yeah. thing and really getting to know. I mean, I mean Vince Clark, the original 
songwriter from Pesh Mode. He's, you know, he's one of the few musicians who can claim that he's had, like, you know, genuine hits with four bands, four different bands, with Pesh Mode, Erasure, Erasure, Alison Moye, and um, Yazoo. Yazoo. So, yeah, and, and these are songs that, yeah, if they come on the radio, you know them. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but this guy, you didn't ever hear about him. Like, uh, oh, yeah, this is his uh, solo guitar album. Mm. Uh, yeah, He's kind of a synth player and, and, a, and a sequencer and a programmer, and that's yeah. the, the main thing. And But in the 80s, this was all very much separate. Yeah, I mean, it was either one or the other. There wasn't so much uh, mixture between the two. This mm. was the 90s. and. Uh, and what, I mean, one of the things that I love so much about Massive Attack is the way that they mixed kind of hip-hop, electronica samples with live instrumentation um, and really uh, often really simple melodies. I mean, the yeah. Angel is just kind of two notes, really. Yeah. But the effect is just uh, really amazing. And, and they took these kind of, technologies from the 80s which sound very 80s uh and they kind of pushed them to a point where they kind of almost sound like real drums yeah um and and i mean this was a, also the switch between sampling and synthesizers so and the 90s really kind of was this you know i think in the 90s, people learned how to use the technology in the 80s mm, for mm. more complex things and just do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, which is a cool song anyway. But, you know, this kind of a development of technology. And, I mean, the point with the 80s bands a lot of them didn't go well into the 90s either. No, yeah. Um, and but then also the, the um, some did manage to make a transition uh, through, I mean, uh, Depeche Mode. They did all right. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Madonna, another mm. really good example but Madonna's different. I mean, she's very clever. Yeah. Uh, she knows who to work yeah, with exactly. at the right times. <laughs> but also she has made some great pop music, so mm. her instinct is often correct. Yeah. Uh, so so will there be like a uh, a Stems 80s vibe coming on? Oh, yeah, already there. Yeah? Already there, yeah. Um, well... I mean, the thing is, I think it sounds—I <laughs> think it sounds eighties, <laughs> but then you know, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we have this reggae-inspired song. <laughs> uh, uh, where's the where's reggae? The reggae? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but also it's certain things taken from the eighties. So the drum beats, for example. I mean, I really love the simplicity of the the drum beats and how mm. strong they were. I mean. Tears for Fears, Shout, for yeah. example. And it's a really strong drum. Oh, Prince, um, Party Like It's 1999. And, and the, the drums are really um, not like a standard rock kind of thing where yeah. you'd expect the hi-hat and like a... It's more just 
kick, snap, mm. and this is the kind of the the, the punch. Yeah, you know? and not a not a natural sounding snare most of the time. Yeah, 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 and um, this also with a little bit of distortion and mm. a little bit of a twist so that it doesn't sound exactly eighties. Um, and the other little tricks like where you would expect to hear a drum fill, there's nothing, mm. you know, and this has been the funny thing with the training drummers to do this, like against all of their instincts where they would <laughs> normally go like, yeah, yeah. And instead it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, and and then because the taking away the pedal from the kick drum, and then you just have the kick drum pad on a table mm. means that also the way you play is completely different because your foot is sort of slower uh, than your hand, mm. and a lot of the beats I noticed on the new stuff they're very kick drum heavy. Mm. So instead of it being just like it's like. And and this is almost impossible with the foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you have the twin pedals, but yeah, still, yeah, you don't yeah. Want to. <laughs> um, and, and 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 also to make it so that it sounds r- right like this in a venue is very mm. difficult with an acoustic kit. Uh, and I've noticed since playing with the electric drums, you the first the first thing you get from sound engineers is a look of confusion <laughs> when they go you want what now yeah and then you go yeah and it's going through this amplifier so that then you the distortion uh, well okay we'll do it <laughs> and then they do it and then they go ah no microphones no mic stands no mic cables mm. uh so you just saved us like 25 minutes of work hassle, yeah. and now we have 25 minutes to put compressors on the kick drum <laughs> <laughs> which is what they really want to yeah, do <laughs> yeah and so you end up with a very happy sound engineer yeah oh, yeah um and uh and it also means that you can play in a big room or a small room and it doesn't really matter mm. i mean you know um but also plus you know when you, you have a very happy drummer when they just pick up the yeah. <laughs> small electric thing, put it in the box, yeah. the two sticks done. there, and uh, yeah, it's done. Yeah. They're sitting at the bar, drinking a beer or whatever, mm. whereas before they would still be like undoing symbols, yeah. putting them in a bag. Telling the rest of the bandmates to stop touching their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or could you please help rather than yeah. just, you know, <laughs> yeah. pointing no, and laughing at me? That way. No, yeah, it goes <laughs> yeah. that way. Yeah, I mean, it's really nice that you're now sat at the bar and everything whilst I'm undoing my mm, drum kit, yeah. but maybe you could bring me a beer while yeah. I, no? <laughs> I, I always fold the cymbals for my drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, usually, um, well, <laughs> yeah, usually I also have a lot of stuff, so generally it's me, like, uh, unplugging things, uh, trying to put them in a bag, and then... Yeah, with the visuals and also you have your laptop and mm. you so usually it takes me about the same time as a drummer to set up all of my equipment um but i mean i'm used to this yeah and i'm still not getting the pedal board <laughs> <laughs> no no pedal board at all no 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 okay. just because of the space thing i mean mm. uh, when you uh, and they're heavy yeah 
it's heavy and and and, and, a, and a lot of space that's needed really uh when you just pack the pedals in your bag and they can kind of at the moment they fit in the side pocket of my laptop case mm. all five pedals you know this would not be possible no. with a pedal board and i'm also kind of tired of defending my position uh, so <laughs> it's very defensive then yeah <coughs> so so the so you have new music ready-ish mm -hmm. uh, sort of mm -hmm. so what what will 2019 hold in store for stems well uh for the most part, I will be playing more shows solo. Mm. So solo and with a film. Um, I will perform this for the first time at a friend's birthday party in Leiden uh, in a couple of weeks. So I still have some work to do, some rough edges, um, but it's mostly there. Um, and yeah, so the main thing will just be touring this uh, new material um i mean i kind of started out the year with a running start with uh, 10 shows in the netherlands and then two shows in france um and then also in may there are three or four shows in, mm. um, in the Net in the netherlands again uh, but this time at festivals um and then it's often deciding the tour route when I should go to Croatia and Slovenia, when I should go to Italy, when would be the best time to play in the UK. Yeah. Um, and, and all these, the conversations are often always open. You all, I mean, you do all this by yourself? Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, the conversations are always open. So they, they're usually um, uh, people are waiting for a date. Mm. You know, okay, let me know when you have a date. And then, okay, well, I have to wait for this other person to give me a date also. And so you end up in this big communication mess. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't know which one is which. And uh... Yeah, and sometimes you uh, uh, end up in, in a very uh, confused situation mm. where it's like, oh, this is not working. This time that... Last year, I wanted to go to Italy in October, and it just wasn't working. So then I decided, well, okay, I'll go to the Netherlands in October, and then November I'll try Italy. And they were all places that I played at before, all places that I know the promoters quite well. Mm. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and, and as soon as I said November, then they were like, yeah, cool, yeah, when do you want? Oh, yeah. You know, and it was then... Then you realize, okay, in October, they still didn't open the bars yet. Mm. So this is because it's still warm down there in October. So people are still going to the beach and people are still uh, not. And it's like, ah, it all makes so much more yeah. sense now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and so, and the way of touring this year will be more like, Going to one country, organizing at least sort of four or five shows, mm. maybe maybe more, um, then having a small uh, break, then moving to the next place, doing the same, um, trying to keep the traveling down, the costs mm. down, yeah. um, so that really, I mean, um, the last few years, the, the costs of traveling have been... Uh, thing that 
really makes it difficult. And it's, it's very annoying when you kind of go, okay, so I earned this much, which would be enough actually, you know, to live quite nicely. Yeah. And, uh, but then I had to pay out half of this for planes, for petrol, mm. for trains, for, um, yeah, and all just traveling, yeah. which is kind of, okay, something that you need to do, but also something that um, should be possible to do cheaper. Yeah. Um, and, and so from last year, being in Germany, it, it is a lot cheaper to to Europe when you're on the continent because from the UK there's always this okay so you need a boat mm. or a plane or a or a, a Eurostar yeah and these are the things where the price can just be either oh I got it for 20 euro or it's 250 yeah <laughs> and it is um and you have to book very far in advance to get a good price and you don't often know when you will be going somewhere. Mm. Um, so to just be, okay, I'm in Germany and I get a train or a Flixbus or a, we drive in a car and go there, and we go there. So you don't have to spend a lot of money before you make money. Yeah, This was always a thing from the UK that, okay, so now I have four people's plane tickets to buy. Plus, we have to get to the airport and mm. then back from the airport. So you start out with minus 400 euro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and then you have to. Yeah, whereas now it's like you start out with like, well, maybe minus 30 euro for petrol or for a train. Mm. Um, and this makes a big difference. Um, and yeah. Because also you have different options of, of getting everywhere, which not necessarily true when you're in the UK. I mean, um, yeah, there, there are options to go by boat to Amsterdam. There's options to go by train to Lille or Paris. Mm. But if these are not the places that you Want need to, to be, yeah. then it makes it more difficult. Mm. So you end up being, okay, so then can fly to Milan and... Uh, then get the train from Milan to Bologna. And once again, then this ends up being... Hassle. Yeah, hassle, money, and, and kind of an entire day spent traveling, mm. which the next day you're just going to be... Dead. Dead from this, yeah. Waking up, traveling, one hour to get to the airport, then through all the security and mm. passport checks. Uh, <laughs> uh And then you get out the other side and then you have to <coughs> go and get another train and then another train and then another train. And then, <laughs> and then finally you're there and it's like, oh, I've been traveling 10 hours today. Yeah. Um, Now let me do this 20-minute show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or if it's in Italy, like, where's the buffet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys have some food hidden <laughs> yeah. around here somewhere. <laughs> There's a granny cooking somewhere. Yeah. Well, this was the most wonderful thing about being there in, in November was, mm -hmm. um, because also before when you tour with a band, then people have to find sleeping places for three, four people. When it's just you, it's easy. You, you know, even if it's a really small place, most people are like, yeah, well, there's a sofa. or um, and, and so I stayed for four weeks. Um, and... 
yeah, you meet people, and yeah, there was so many times where someone's mum's made this soup, or yeah, yeah. you know, and it's wow, this is really good, yeah. man, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I found that I was eating so much. <laughs> I didn't intend to, but it mm. was just, oh, yeah, there's, you have to try this. Oh, yeah, okay, this yeah. is really good. Yeah. So then you finish it, and then someone else is like, oh, yeah, but uh, this is the second course now. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, then we have the pasta, and yeah. then we have the meats, and then we have the, the dessert, yeah. I hope you saved room for dessert. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> no, I did not, yeah. but I can try and squeeze some in, <laughs> yeah. I guess. If, if they want to reach you for gigs, you're always looking for gigs? Yeah, always looking for good gigs. Good not, gigs. Not gigs where there's <laughs> three people and they... And a mouse. Oh, yeah, and a goat. Yeah. yeah and, and, and the goat just won't shut up the whole concert. Yeah, oh, you know, man, those goats. Ruins a live goats. concert, yeah. man. Yeah. A goat. And, yeah, and they're... They're very crude, man. Mm. I mean, you know, they they don't understand about toilets and stuff. No, so, I mean, no. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you want to, <laughs> but uh, for booking contact, then um, I mean, Facebook is always an easy place, and it's just Stems Ensemble on Facebook. Uh, the other best place to look is YouTube because the visual side of things, and this is just youtube.com stems music um so facebook is stems ensemble youtube is stems music i, I like if to they if it. they didn't ca catch it the first time they can just rewind this part ah, and yeah, listen to yeah. it again so. well, i can just keep repeating it as well uh, <laughs> put uh, it on a loop station <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah this is a good idea yeah maybe at the end of your shows you just go like Stems music. Stems music. Stems music. <laughs> stems. And then in all different arm. voices. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Buy a CD. <laughs> Buy a CD. Just put it in like subliminal. Yeah. Um, and then then just over and over and over yeah. and over. And just uh, watch the cash just, yeah. flow uh, in. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, then flow out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the nasty part about money. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But thanks for uh, thanks for uh, thanks for coming along. Yeah. yeah, well, thanks for inviting me. I mean, this is where we started, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was definitely uh, my pleasure. <laughs> Good, it was mine as well. Uh, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna play some of your song of one of your songs now. Yeah, um, you know which one it will be already. Yeah, we can choose a Interstellar, which is the last song on the new album, um, and this. Has everything in there from the 80s sound to the synthesizer to the violins to uh, yeah, so it, it's so a it's nice everything. overview. Yeah, okay, well, here we go. Stems with Interstellar. Mm -hmm. 